Amen. I'm excited today. We got a, a, a series I'm starting for you today called Rock Solid. Rock Solid. It's going to be out of two verses in Matthew, and that's the whole series. The four weeks is coming from the two verses in Matthew. But um, I have a video I'm going to show you in a second. But how many of you would love to go back in time and tell yourself, like, two things to change the way your life is going? Like, if you can go tell yourself, hey, you know, don't date that person. Or, hey, on August 28, 2005, pack better. <laughs> right? Like, like little things like that. Maybe, you know, invest in Microsoft or, you know, something like that. But we always joke about how I wish I could set myself up better and I could do better for myself or go back in time. There's country songs written about it. There's movies about it and everything. Well, I got a clip from an American classic this morning. That's going to help me preach. You can roll the beautiful bean footage whenever you can. Pause it. We got the wrong audio on. Praise the Lord. Let's try it again. This cost me 300 bucks! Would you shut up about the car? Hey, and another thing. How do you know where I live? Let's just say we're related, Biff. And that being the case, I got a little present for you. Something that'll make you rich. You want to be rich, don't you? Oh, yeah. Sure. Right. That's rich. <laughs> You're going to make me rich? <laughs> you see this book? This book tells the future. It tells the results of every major sports event till the end of the century. Football, baseball, horse races, boxing. The information in here is worth millions, and I'm giving it to you. Well, that's very nice. Thank you very much. Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you. Don't you get it? You could make a fortune with this book. Let me show you. Trail 17 to 16. It's fourth and 11 with only 18 seconds left in this game. I'd say it's all over for UCLA. But your million bucks, UCLA wins at 19 to 17. What are you, deaf old man? He just said it was over. You lost. Oh, yeah. Here comes Decker with a kick. It's up. It looks good, folks. It looks very good. Field goal. UCLA wins 19 to 17. Listen to that Coliseum Pronto 1. All right, Pops, what's the gag? How did you know what the score was going to be? I told you, it's in this book. All you got to do is bet on the winner and you'll never lose. Well, I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here. If I told you there was a clear process, step by step, for you to build your life on and your life will be successful and your family will be in good standing and you'll go generation upon generation upon generation and you'll be just set up. You would do it. Yet why is it that when we have one, we're like young Biff and we don't believe it? I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like like the video was a very good example of what it's like most of the time, especially doing youth ministry. You got the old man saying, do what this book says, and you'll be all right. 
And they got the young person, like, that's stupid, old man. What do you possibly think? And it's a joke. It's a movie. But it's such a good image of what usually happens when it comes to Christians and the word. Like, it's right here. It's right here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. 24 and 25. says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Holy Spirit, let every person under my voice lead this place change, wanting and knowing you more than my own opinion, but all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pull a few things this morning. It says here, any man that hears and does. Now, we obviously know, if you know anything about the English language, and is a conjunction. You've heard me say this before. So it is before the and and after the and are of equal importance. So Jesus is saying, whoever hears and does, right? Well, what are we hearing? We're hearing his sayings. Now, there are two ways, that two different layers we can pull from this chapter in as far as context is concerned. The first one is Jesus is finishing the Sermon on the Mount. He's finishing arguably the, the biggest chunk of teaching he gives. From Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, Jesus introduces what's called the New Covenant. He introduces the kingdom of God. This is how things are supposed to be. All throughout those three chapters, Jesus makes the statement, you have heard it said, but I say, over and over and over again. And he's laying out a new way of living. I'm going to give you some of those this morning. In Matthew 5, 6, it says, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness... You shall be filled. If you're dry in your walk with the Lord, it's not his fault. It's our fault. Because it says, if I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, I will be filled. Matthew 5, 23 to 24, is conflict resolution. If, it says, if you know that you come into church and somebody has a problem with you, you got to leave your gift before you worship and go make it right with them. Now, we should all repent because none of us do that. We walk in, we might be mad at our spouse, we got an issue, but we don't, and we lift our hands and sing instead of making it right with them. That's what Jesus literally says to do. Let's look at another one he says, Matthew 6, Matthew 5, 28. Whoever looks at a man lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. Jesus changes it. The, the, Matthew 5, it says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, any man who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery in his heart. And that's just for men, it's for women too. Then you go to Matthew 6, he lays out the Lord's Prayer. This is not the ritual. It's not praying the specific prayer that has the power. It's the format that he lays out, the pattern that he shows us how to pray there in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 21, store up treasures in heaven. Don't store up here. Don't get all kind of stuff here where you're going to lose it anyway. Store up in heaven. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew 7, verse 1, don't judge. Period. Don't judge. Let's keep going. Matthew 7, 13 through 14, the way is narrow. Right now, the world is very big on how much God loves. He does. But that love is narrow. Because that love is only manifested and experienced through Jesus. Anything outside of the love of God displayed through Jesus is not the love of God. It's humanistic and it's emotional. 
No, I want the love of God explained and, and, and revealed through Jesus. Now, Matthew 7, 20, you'll know men by their fruit. Don't tell me what you say. Show it to me. Now, that's, what, that's some of the things that Jesus just got finished saying. But there's another layer to this because he says, my sayings, my word. Well, what else is his word? Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. There are a lot of churches right now, I've been, especially younger people, like, like my generation of pastors, a bunch of knuckleheads. A lot of them are, 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 are tearing down the authority of Scripture. And they're saying that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not the same person. And they're saying that Jesus is love and all kind of great. They're overemphasizing one attribute of God over the other. Let me tell you something. Here at the tabernacle, this is the standard. This is the authority. I'm not going to tell you what Chris thinks. I'm going to tell you what this book says to the best of my ability. And see, the other thing about it is that the reason it's the standard is I've got to conform my life to this. I can't conform this to my life. I had to do it this week in a situation at home. I had to do something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do it. And I felt justified in not doing it. Can I get an amen? You shouldn't amen me. But I felt justified in not doing it. But there's this verse of scripture that that came up. Because I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against him. And this, this, this scripture came up. I had a decision to make. I could ignore the scripture and keep my opinion. Or I could take the scripture and I could take that sword and slice my opinion to pieces with it. This is the standard. Any man who hears these sayings and does them it's like a, is a wise man today is how to be wise but I want to know I want you to see something therefore any whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them for years I, when I was teaching youth and I, I think this is important I always used to talk about the difference between hearing and listening right because you could be here right now you could be hearing me because I have a microphone but you might not be listening. You might be thinking about the LSU game and when you got to put the ribs on to have them right for the party this evening or when, what kind of stakes you want to go buy for the game tonight. Go Tigers. But for me, I'm a musician, and so I have learned how to hear a song but listen to the bass guitar or listen to the saxophone in a song. I've taught myself over years, how to, how to listen specifically. But you all know there's a difference between listening and hearing. Your children can hear you, but not listen. But I want you to notice something. Jesus skips a step. Jesus goes straight from hearing to doing. You want to know why? He doesn't need you to agree. He needs you to obey. He's not interested in you agreeing with everything he tells you to do immediately. He's interested in you obeying what he tells you to do immediately. Think about when you're raising your kids, right? The reason that we want our children to answer and do what we tell them to do when we tell them is not because we're on a power trip. I need my children to respond when I call them and do what I tell them to do 
when they hear me call their name because right now it might be, you know, whoever, Sam, pick up your shoes. Tomorrow it might be, Sam, move because there's a car coming down the street. And I need you to hear my voice and act, not hear my voice and then go, wait, what'd you say? And there's so many people that are following Jesus, but they're wanting to listen and like interpret and figure out and see if there's another explanation. Or is there another preacher that's going to preach it the way I would rather hear it? Or is there another, another version of this that might be, no, no, no. He wants us to hear and do. Not hear and argue, debate, figure out, twist, manipulate. Hear and do. Do that's how to be wise. But what do we do? How do we do it? How do we know that we're doing it? It's a very simple question. How do you know you're doing it? Because you're doing it. How do you know that I'm preaching right now? Because I'm preaching. That's why. The word here for do is literally to construct in Greek. So what it's saying is to intentionally do. Nobody builds something on accident. Right? Like you don't take a drill and some wood and some screws and just kind of throw them in a trailer and then you get somewhere and a shelf is built. Things are built on purpose. Now when I build something, it may look like it was built on accident. But when, 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 when Bo Este builds something, it doesn't look like it was just thrown together. It's got some intent to it. It was done on purpose. Our walk with the Lord, we should be able to notice that there is intent behind what we're doing. It's on purpose. This morning, I'm going to give you three ways that we know we're building, according to him. Amen? The first one jumps right off what Pastor Cliff said last week. The first point is change. Change. Pastor Derek used to say, if there's been no change, there's been no change. That's easy. I got some buddies of mine that used to rag on me for being overweight. And I used to do diets and do different things like that. And then we'd get together for, you know, breakfast and they'd be like, you ain't no diet. Yeah, I lost seven pounds. Look like you gained 10. Don't look no different. Does not look any different. So whatever you're doing ain't working. Because it don't look any different. Because there's been no change. Let me ask you a question. Are you a different person than before you met Jesus? Simple. Because if the Spirit of God who hovered over the waters, and when God said, let there be light, light happened. If the Spirit that left the rod of Moses and parted the Red Sea, if the Spirit that took a pebble, a rock, and knocked out a nine-and-a-half-foot giant for David, if the same Spirit that caused an old prophet to outrun a chariot, if the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead actually lives on the inside of you, you cannot look like you used to before he got there. You can't, like, listen to me, you can't. 
Like, it's not you have a, like, uh, I'm just not going to let it happen. No, it just happens. You are transformed into a new creature. You are a new creation in Christ when that happens. So if there's been no change, there's been no change. But I want to I want to I want to push a little bit this morning because, like I said, we're getting the next the whole month is from these two two verses. And so when I'm talking about change, most of the time, all of us go to sin habits before Jesus. Right? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been serving the Lord 20 years or more? Raise your hand. Back, they in the back. Me in the back. All right, put your hands down. How many of you look different today than you did five years ago? Now, 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 now pause. Put your hands down. Let me, let me explain. Let me explain it to you. The reason I'm saying this is because I find I, September, this month, will be 31 years for me serving Jesus. And, and, that, and, and people can say, well, Pastor Chris, he was only five. Yeah, and he met me in a children's crusade. Changed my life. I was different when I walked out the room. So 31 years is legitimate. But what I have noticed is that whenever we start talking about being transformed into the image of Christ, our church definition usually goes to new believers kicking sin and not seasoned believers with new attitudes. Not seasoned believers with different outlooks. See, I don't want to just be transformed into a new creation in my early 20s or when I was saved at five. Because that transformation at five years old didn't help me not speed when I got my license at 16. I had no chance to speed yet. I had no chance to break the law yet. I had no chance to, to fornicate yet because I was five years old. I had to grow, and as I matured, as life moved on, new situations, new temptations, new struggles, new storms showed up. But the the thing is, in every season of my life, I am supposed to maximize how much like Christ I can become in that season. But what I find is mature believers, they reach a certain spot where they can look at who they used to be in the world and say, wow, I'm not like them anymore. And because I'm not like them anymore, they stop changing. When I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be like Christ, not unlike the world. I'm supposed to be like him, which means when I'm 80 years old and my body doesn't work like it used to, am I going to be depressed? When, I'm, when, when my, my wife has told me that it is unacceptable for me to die first, she let me know that it is not tolerable. She will not allow it. I guess she talked to the Lord and they made a deal. I don't really know, but that is not a thing, apparently. That's our little joke, but I, I've said this to her before, that I agree that she should die first because she would be much worse off without me than I would be without her. I tell her all the time. And she agrees. But one day when I'm standing at the casket of my mom, am I Christ-like? 
When I'm standing at the casket of potentially my spouse, will I be Christ-like? Will I be Christ-like after that? Will I be Christ-like when I'm no longer preaching? I'm no longer pastoring? I'm no longer Pastor Chris with all the, the stuff that comes with it. Can I still honor him then? Because I can't change into that person yet because I'm not that person yet. I haven't grown there yet. So I'm saying this because some of y'all that have been saved 25 years, you need to change. I'm just letting you know. It isn't just the young people that have to change and kick sin. Some of us have to change and kick prejudice. We got to change and kick some religion. We got to change and kick some attitudes, or I'm not going to be submitted. I'm not going to do that because they asked me to. No, I'm going to do whatever they asked me to because I believe this is where I'm supposed to be. I want to have a heart after Jesus, and I want it to be soft and pliable because he's the potter and I'm the clay. And when can the play ever tell the potter, I don't like what you're doing with me? Amen? So the first one is change, but the second one is commitment. Because the change doesn't happen all at once. Despite what we think of new believers. See, I learned this when I was pastoring youth. And in 2012, we had this big wash of kids come in. And then in 2013, the whole wash went out. But we kept about 25. 25, 30 kids in that big swoop that came in and then I began to disciple those kids we're going to love on those kids we, they began to grow they began to encounter they were doing group but then we started getting new people coming in and I watched I remember having a specific conversation at Gerald's one time with somebody I watched as new people came in that the Christians the, the, the youth that I had for a couple of years were being extremely like hyper legalistic with the new Christians like, one time I remember watching one of the, the mature ones get on a, a, a newer believer for doing something. So I pulled this young guy aside, and I said, bud. I said, how long have you been serving Jesus? I said, about two years. I said, how long has he been serving Jesus? About four months. I said, okay. I said, Weren't you and I just talking about how you had to stop doing that last month? You've been serving Jesus two years, and you were still doing that very thing last month. And now you're jumping down his throat, and he hadn't learned how to tie his shoes yet as a Christian. See, we, we, we mistake this. Y'all know the scripture where it says that I sought the Lord and he heard my cry and he pulled me out of the miry pit and saw him, right? You know that? You do realize that our pits were different. You do realize that the location of those pits were different, right? What I mean by that is this. I'll give you an analogy. I love this analogy. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use Frank because LSU shirt is the brightest thing that I can see right now because of these stage lights. Me and Frank, we're going to meet at WOW for lunch. But I'm starting at the airport, and Frank's starting at Delacro. You know what? That's going to be an extremely different journey for the two of us. He's not going to see a house on the ground for 25 to 30 minutes. He's not. 
I'm not going to see a stop sign or a red light for 25, 30 minutes because I'm coming from the airport. He might not see another vehicle for 25 minutes. I'm going to be surrounded by vehicles. But eventually, as I get away from the airport, I'm going to start seeing some more trees. I'm going to start seeing some more homes. The traffic's going to lessen a little. I'm going to start getting in, in with some more space, right? I'm going to get a little more. This, when I get off at the Shellmet exit, there's going to be the trees and the green space and six flags and all that. It's going to get a little more open, right? And as Frank comes up, he passes South Lake Valkenau Bridge. Now, now he's going to be in a little more civilization. And then eventually, you know what? We're both going to see a McDonald's at some point along the way. We're both going to see 813 dollar stores on the way. But eventually, Frank and I are going to get to WOW. And we're going to sit down and have some chicken strips with Kansas City barbecue sauce, sweet potato fries. Man, that's what I'm going to get. I don't know what he's going to get, that's what I'm going to get. But you know what would be really dumb? Is if I told Frank he couldn't eat because his journey looked different than mine. Yeah, you didn't, you, you didn't see the elevated houses, so you, you didn't actually make the journey. You, 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 didn't, you, you didn't see the, the, the theme park, so you definitely didn't have the same journey I did. Listen carefully. The pit that Jesus pulled me out of was a religious, arrogant church kid. Right? Some of you may have been the addicted alcoholic. Those situations look extremely different. So guess what else looks different? The process on how I become more like Jesus. See, for me as a kid, worshiping in service wasn't a sign of me being closer to Jesus. I could outact anybody in church. I could. That wasn't a sign for me. When somebody coming out of the ballroom, lifting their hands in church would have been monumental CNN worth news. Because that guy lifted his hands in church, hallelujah. But what happens is we, see, we, we, right now, you're all thinking, I don't do that. Yes, you do. Why? Because we're all jacked up people who get in our own way, in our own heads, because we don't want to change. And because we would rather not change, I'd rather point at somebody else's difficulty than deal with my own. And we mess ourselves up. No, it's the commitment to the process. Jesus, you need to fix me, and you're going to keep fixing me, and I'm going to let you keep fixing me, and I'm not going to worry about how you're fixing Frank or Mr. Junior or Miss Margie. I'm going to let you fix me, and you can keep fixing me until the day I stand next to you. It's the commitment. That's how I know I'm building on the foundation. It's the commitment. But what we do, we'll skip steps. We'll skip and we'll try to jump around. No, one foot in front of the other, one day after the next. Change me, Jesus. Make me more like you. So we've got change. There's got to be a difference. Somewhere, some way, somehow, there has to be a difference. Secondly, it's the commitment. I'm staying faithful to Jesus. I'm committed to doing what he says whenever he tells me to do it. When he says do it, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And then last is courage. Because it's not easy changing when everybody knows who you used to be. 
It's not easy changing the way you lived when you've lived a certain way your entire life. I was sitting down with my dad a couple weeks ago, and I was just curious. I asked him. My dad smoked for like 35 years. And I asked him. I said, I said, Dad, I said, do you ever, like, still want a cigarette? And he looked at me, and he said, every day. I said, really? He said, anytime I get stressed out, that thing pops off. Anytime I get upset, it pops off. He said, because for 35 years of my life, I would hallmark or make a monument of every major moment with a cigarette. It's like, so it's just part of who I am. He said, so I have to, he literally said this, I have to choose not to smoke. I have to choose to walk in victory every single day. He hasn't smoked since 20, I don't know, I caught, I, I caught him sneaking one time. So I don't know when he actually stopped. But I want to say it was like 2012 or something like that. I don't remember when it was. But he stopped. And now he doesn't do it anymore. But he still has to choose. That's courage. You may, you may be like that with alcohol, where that's, that's your thing. That has been your thing. That has always been your thing. That was your family's thing. It was your daddy's thing. It was your mama's thing. And that, that's it for you. But you may have to say no. Every day for the rest of your life. That takes courage. It takes courage to build on the rock. Because most people don't. Most people don't. It takes courage to get back up when we fall. It takes courage to deal with the opinions of people who say we're just in a fad. It'll change. It'll get, oh, she's just doing a new church thing for whatever reason. No, it, it, it takes courage to keep pushing. But while it might be difficult, and while it might take courage, while it might be awkward and uncomfortable, it is always worth it. It's always worth it. Pastor Chris, how do you know it's worth it? Because I'm the benefactor of three generations on the rock. I, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits of three generations. My grandmother right now, still, every evening... Pray, goes through her prayer list and sings her songs every evening before she goes to bed. Every evening. Same chair, same spot. Since I can remember. No, she's never preached in Africa like Reinhard Bonnke. She's never, she's never done what I'm doing right now. But there was change in her life. There was a commitment in her life. And there was courage. And because of those three things, she built a foundation that is still being built on. And still being built on. And long after she's with the Lord, it's still going to be built on. It's still going to be built on. Because then I get to have my turn as the old gray-haired member of the family who gets to pray every morning. And watches my great-grandchildren build. Because he who has promised is faithful. But it doesn't matter. You have no access into all that he offers if you're not building on the rock. Bow your heads with me this morning.